were looking back over a hundred years of your life, what would you change? This is the conundrum Richard Lumsden posed his wonderfully drawn character in this beautiful yet melancholy recent novel, The Six Loves of Billy Binns. Richard is an English actor, composer and musician, having performed in such diverse shows including Foggy in First of the Summer Wine, Henry in Sugar Rush and the hysterical Martin in The Catherine Tate Show, as well as EastEnders. His film credits include appearances in the classic Ang Lee's Sense and Sensibility and Gordon in James Rouse's Downhill. But it's Billy Binns that really resonated with me, a poignant, heartfelt, uplifting novel that reminds us what it's like to be loved and love in all its different forms. Join us as we chat through Richard's love of London, his writing process, a labour of love over many, many years, and what motivated him to write such a magical book. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favourite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favourite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free, and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says Guests' Favourite Places in London, click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening. Best wishes and keep safe. Steve. I, I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today and it's, it's taken best part of 50 minutes to get this uh, recording up and running for various technical reasons. And please don't blame me, folks. I'm, I'm just the... Uh, I'm just the producer of the show. <laughs> I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Richard Lumsden, author, actor, writer, composer, musician. What, what, what do you like to be called? What, what are you? Who are, who are you? <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I think I just get away with a lot of things, I think is probably the way. I, I mean, all of those things are true. I do all that's, that's that. I've only ever earned a living from those those four jobs, which I've done for like 30 odd years now. But um, things come in and out of phase. There are, there are you know, periods of time that the... the, the um, Acting work has sustained me for the last 30 odd years and writing comes now and then when I, there's something I feel like doing. Music, I pretty much stopped doing a few years ago, having done it for quite a long time. I'm composing very occasionally when things come in. So it's all of those things are true, but they're just different moments see me through. What do you feel like you are? I mean, do you, do you feel more of an author now? I, mean, I want to talk, obviously, in, at some length about the wonderful book, uh, The Six Lives of Billy Binns, which is, I think, your first major novel. It's my first novel, yes. Yes, it is. Your, your, your yes. first novel, which is, is a wonderful book, and we're going to talk a bit about that. Having written that, and I know you've got a story to tell about it took, what do you say, up it to 25 it. years. <laughs> it did. Although the actual writing process took a, a little less than that, but from concept through to completion, maybe 20-odd, 25 years. Do you, Now you've completed that, do you do you think in the back of your head, well, I'm actually an author, or do you still feel I'm more of an actor, which is... I, I find the, one of the things is, is that I think you're always struggling to to qualify all the things that I've done. So if, I, if I've done a book, I now need to do another one. And the, the moments of satisfaction tend not to last. They, they last a short time. And, and then very quickly, as a freelancer, I've, I've only ever been freelance for 35 or something years now, 
you always need something else to come in. And I, I've always described it as having seven plates spinning, um, six of which will always come crashing down. You just don't know which is the one that will that will stay up. So um, I'm very proud of the book. And I'm, I'm, you know, it's lovely that it's out there, but I, I kind of have to get on with the next thing as always. And, you know, um, and at the moment with the lockdown, work has obviously stopped on every uh, every front. Do you feel you have to get on with the next thing from a obviously a financial point of view, because you've got to get paid. But do you, do you feel like um, a, a desire to get on with the next thing? Do you feel like mentally you get up in the morning and you've got something you've got to produce? You've got to, do you have this creative urge every morning you get up to do something, whether, whether it's writing or music or whatever? The thing with writing is you can just get up and get on with it. Acting work requires someone to give me a job and, and to go filming something. And uh, for example, last year I filmed a series for ITV in Malaysia. I was spent about four months in Malaysia, which was incredible. I'd never been that far east before. And it was wonderful to have a reason to go to the country and to spend time there. And that's a very different uh, process. Uh, I took writing with me to do so that in downtime, I could get up in the morning and get on. So I very much do have the sense that if I don't get out of bed in the morning and get straight on with some writing, then I'm missing a crucial part of the day. And, and I indeed, possibly not having my seven plates, you know, up spinning very wobbly on, on the poles that, um, yeah, uh, music was similarly, when I was younger, I, I, I mean, I was in bands as a kid and we, we had records out that didn't really get anywhere. And then in my twenties, I had a band, we played all over London and, and other parts of the UK. And that was a lot of fun, but I think I reached an age where I thought I, I can't really, I don't really want to do that anymore. I, I'm past the age of doing it. So I spent more time composing. Uh, but again, that never made, I, occasionally I'd get paid for it, for composing. I did film scores and some TV themes and things, and that was good, but it tends to be the writing or the acting, one of which gets handed to me and the other, which I have to get up and earn. So, yeah. So it, what feels more satisfying to you? Is it the, the ones that you get up and you, you create yourself from scratch, the idea, the concept or something that comes to you in the post, read this script and we'd like you to, you know, play this part. I like a balance. I, I, I think I, I've struggled doing one thing for a length of time and not, not getting some level of board. I mean, acting work is, is, is great at the best of times and it's horrendous at the worst of times you know that it might be a job you you've taken because you really need to pay the mortgage that month uh, it could be something which didn't hasn't quite turned out the way you wanted it to and you just have to find a way professionally to do that and sometimes it's the most satisfying job in the world with the kind of most incredible people it's never been that one thing always works for me and, and something doesn't the, the 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 variables are huge writing is a is a discipline that um if i didn't if I didn't have, then I'd be just resentful for all the times that no acting work was coming in. You know, you, you need to be able to keep your brain in, in a good place. I just wondered if you felt more sat more satisfaction when you wrote the final line, the final sentence of the book, as opposed to when you performed your final scene, I don't know, in, uh, where you're in Sense and Sensibility, for example. Um, I think there's no doubt about it that completing the book and having it published and, and, it, and it having a, you know, it had a lovely reaction in a lot of places. I, it was one of the, one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of to this day, without, without a doubt. It was a, it was a, a labor of love, but something I really wanted to do. So I, I'm, I'm certainly, it felt very special to have, to have that work. Your London Legacy is all about um, people doing good things or in and around London. You weren't born in London, though, as I understand. You're born, I think, was it in Lancashire? Yeah, I was born just, as is correct, I was born just outside Manchester, well, actually close to Bury, a place called Unsworth. And I lived there till I was about two, so I don't remember that at all. Uh, then moved to the other side of Manchester till I was about 11. 
and then moved at that age to a, a small village in Derbyshire in the Peak District. And it's Derbyshire that is the place that I consider my kind of birth home, if you know what I mean. That, that's where, that's where I, uh, my kind of mind started to come to life. And I, I loved the comprehensive school that I went to as opposed to the, 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 the boys' school in, in Manchester that was uh, just not for me at all. The comprehensive was great. I had great teachers very, who, who instilled, um, a love of drama and music and, and writing. They're, you know, some fantastic people I, I got to study under. And then um, went to drama school at 18. And from that point, um, London was the only place to, to be. So I, I feel over the course of time that London is very, you know, it's been my home or my working life as a, as a grown up. And I, I do like to get back to Derbyshire for um, walks in the hills and uh, get my, my mountain uh, my, my walking boots on and go over the, the moors and things but uh but london has been the place that um yeah it's the only place i've i've lived and it's i feel like a londoner i hope i've earned the right to be one but i feel like a londoner well certainly it, it shines through in the book because obviously the book is set predominant well not exclusively predominantly in and around london and shepherd's bush and hammersmith and west london which is which is not an area i'm more i'm more familiar with north northwest and, and going out east london then then i am west so I'm, you know i know i know west london pretty well but um so it's set predominantly in london but also in derbyshire as well and that that's an area i don't know at all well actually i've often wanted to go and spend some time in derbyshire and the beautiful countryside surrounding it and and having read because the main character billy spends some time he goes and hides away in there he doesn't escapes he? doesn't he? he escapes the dogs yes and he has, a, he has a name change as well doesn't he really and disappears up there for a period of time yeah i mean it, it is the most beautiful county and the uh, i mean the difference from from the, the village that i was brought up in had just not that many houses every day I, I would just go for a walk on the moors whatever the weather the moors were at the, like up the road at the top of the house at the top of the, the village uh, out of the house so uh, i would just walk there's a stone circle up there it's the most beautiful beautiful and the pubs are great you know the whole kind of lifestyle of that is lovely uh, so I would recommend and it's so close to London I mean you're there and you can if you have a car you can you're there in two and a half hours you know it's uh, it's it's delightful but uh, I think the two worlds complement each other if, if I'm up there for a few days a couple of days in I, I can't wait to get back to town again I I, 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 I you know I want the, the the lights and the noise and the people and um, but yes the, the book is set around I, 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 I did a huge amount of research into the history of um, of Shepherd's Bush and Hammersmith because I wanted the, it, as a, a basic description, it's about a man who's 117 trying to remember what love was like uh, and his time there as a kid. And, and it's in all the details that the, the moments come back to life. So I wanted to make sure that I had it as, as accurate as possible. I'm not a historian. I'm not an academic. Uh, it was a sort of, um, it was finding things that made his, it made him come to life as a human being rather than what was exactly there at a certain moment in time. But I did get, I, I became immensely fascinated in the history of Shepherd's Bush and White City and um, and the whole area around there. Yeah. So I've got to ask, because you're a man after a sort of similar age to me. I mean, you look a lot younger than me. Well, I look like in our 20s, don't we, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think I think your birthday is coming up, isn't it? In, uh, it is, in a week next, or so. Next week, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. Yeah. It's very good. My goodness me, you've done your work. Well, I'll try to do a little bit of research. Well, you did plenty of research for your book, so it's the least I could do is a little bit of research on uh, on the guest. So, yeah, uh, folks, 24th of June. Don't forget to send Richard a birthday. Thank you, thank you very kindly. Birthday card. So you, you're um, a man of a certain age, as I said, you know. 4015, isn't that right? The, the concept of the book, now you've given the, well, you've said Billy 
Billy Binns, 117 years yeah. young. But the concept of Billy came to you not recently, came to you 20, 25 years ago. So why why would you get an idea as a, as a, as a young man to write a story of an old man whose life is finishing? I was um, around 30 when I, I had the idea. And the, the idea came to me quite quickly. I was living in Shepherd's Bush at the time. I had a little place on Loftus Road, um, just off the Oxbridge Road. And I, I would go to the library, which was... Uh, the library, it's, it's moved now, but the library's on Oxbridge Road near one of the tube stations near Shepherd's Bush Market. And there were some amazing black and white photographs on the wall of trams going around the green and, and you know, the turn of the, of the 1800s into the 1900s. And, um, and I got, I got quite captivated by what it looked like back, you know, the, 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 the all that, that time before, you know, our, our lives. And so I sketched out over a day or so the idea of this man trying to remember the, 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 the six people that he'd been in love with and to tell his life story through each relationship. Um, that the, the story and the notes on the structure were easy, you know, you, because you can just, I'm, I, I'm used to storytelling. Uh, I, I, I get excited by having a good idea for a story. And so I noted all that down. And I thought, well, I, I need to do a bit of research on this because I can't just make up what it was like. So I obviously read a lot of books and things. I found some some um, bits and pieces, but it was it was all a bit vague eventually. And, and then I found these little publications, these uh, publications by a group called the Shepherd's Bush Local History Society. And this was basically a collection of a, of about 15 or 20 octogenarians who would meet once a month uh, at a church hall off the Oxbridge Road. So I phoned them up and asked if I could come and have a chat. And they were the most the most welcoming, friendly group. Um, I was about 30 at the time, and I told them what I was trying to do. They invited me along, and I ended up staying and going every, every month for the best part of a year or two. And they would put on slideshows and uh, how White City changed. What's now the Westfield Shopping Centre was obviously was, had a massive history before then. And um, these pictures of these white palaces and canals that were built to celebrate the the millennium 1900 and and the Olympic Stadium 1908 that was there. It, it, and I got so fascinated by it. And they they gave me such a wealth of information and and things that they'd written down in these these pamphlet books that they put out and. So I started writing, I did, did all the research and I started writing. I wrote the first hundred pages, basically part one, Billy is a young man. And, and I was writing it because I was a young man and that was the angle I was taking with the book. And then it came to researching the next part, the next where history moves forward, I'd, uh, covering into the through the First World War, into the Second World War. And I just got exhausted by the amount of research I was going to have to start off again. So I abandoned it at that point. I thought, I, c I can't do this. And I left it and I, I, I left it for about 16 or 17 years. So when I came, I, I mean, I, I did, I actually wrote the story as a Radio 4 play and I, and just, you know, it's very different telling a 45 minute tale on Radio 4 than, than it is as a novel. I thought I, I just. So was the 45 minute radio play, did that tell the entire story, but, but like in a posit condensed version? Yeah, absolutely. It did. did it. And, and um, Tom Courtney played Billy and it was a lovely production. It gets repeated a lot, actually. Radio 4 still still play it quite regularly. Um, but I felt that I cheated the story that I'd come up with. I felt that I, I knew that I'd started it as a book, but I thought, well, I, I can't write novels. So it's not something I, I, I it's just not. I'm just not equipped or qualified to write a novel. So I, I left it, but it, it kept hanging over me. And then with very different circumstances, in like my personal life and and all sorts of events having happened, um, I was 
approaching 50 and um well like just just late 40s and i knew i had to get it finished and uh an, an agent a book agent was very encouraging about what they they'd read the first 100 pages and said you just have to finish this you just have to get on and finish it and it was that that made me do it i then i i like i was saying to you beforehand i i then would set my alarm for six o'clock every morning and i just irrespective of what acting work or other things I was doing, I got out of bed, I just pulled on a t-shirt and hoodie and I didn't have a cup of tea or didn't wash my face or anything, just wrote for two or three hours and just for the next year and a half wrote the rest of the book. And so I found at that point, I was writing it from a totally different perspective because obviously the first part of the book is written by me as a young man and the later part of the book is written me you know, at a very different stage of life. And I think that gave it a um, gave it a lot of weight that I hadn't, I mean, it, it wasn't deliberate. I didn't deliberately do it that way, but I, I think that one of the things I'm very proud of in the book is you feel his journey. I think you can feel him growing older. And again, I, I think I felt equipped to do that at that point that I didn't feel when I was 30. That's fascinating because you've got the fresh impetus of some some third party. This this lady who comes along and says, "I think you should now." It was a lady, I think. You said. Uh, yeah, yes, it was a man at first and then a lady. Yes, yeah, you, you should you should drive this forward and, and make this into a novel. And then you've also got the passage of your own years, your own life, when you can start to look at Billy's life afresh through your own eyes and your own experiences of love and loss and all the rest exactly and i wanted him to be deeply flawed as well i, I wanted him to be a man that, that makes he's, he's very and, and i know that some readers find that a bit of a challenge because you're you are and I, that's what i like about him that he i want uh, the readers to warm to him but to know that he's a human like we all and we all make mistakes at times and get things wrong I don't find it upsetting in it. I don't get angry with him. I, 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 I'm just screaming yeah. at him. Please, for God's sake, don't make that. De- You're such a good bloke. You're such a nice guy. You know, make make the right decision. For God's sake, don't walk away. Don't do this. You know. And with the, without giving things away, if people do just read it, there there are moments where he and he doesn't make the right decision, and he, and he, sh- he he does make. I mean, writing those bits was was hard because you knew you wanted him to to do it right, but but you had to justify and give give justice to the fact that he. And this a, is the obvious question which he must get asked a thousand times. I mean, is is any of it? And not not specific instances, but him making crappy decisions, and and you only know they're shit decisions when you look back on them in hindsight. Are these things which you can say, well, I've experienced that myself? Undoubtedly, can, yeah. yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah. They're, 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 I viewed it that Billy was me, in a way. I, I, I In order to write from the heart it, it, it required I, I always saw Billy as me in 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 a way and so whilst whilst it is a work of fiction um uh, and the incidents happened to Billy are, are very different from the incidents happened to me but it was it was easier it was easy to um see the parallels and then to to put that into the the writing to make it I wanted it to transmit to people. I wanted people to feel those things too. And um, that was that was the point. So I think to do that, you have to dig down a bit and unoffer up the parts of yourself that perhaps you're not very proud of at times. Uh, the the character is wonderful. And what comes across is the the gentleness of his character, the comedy. Yeah, there's a certain comic aspect of his character. And he, he, he's quite comedic in some aspects. And he's got a great sense of humour which I think is your humour coming coming through, and and some of some of the dialogue and some of the moments in the uh, the home. What do you call it? Old people's home. Oh, well, well, a care home. Yes, care home are hysterically funny. If if you've been in around 
elderly people and you've been to care homes and you've taken part in those conversations which get repeated time and again they're, they're tragic but they are they are funny we all know please god if we get to that age we're going to partake in some of those conversations uh, absolutely and I, like i mean thank you for your compliments with that i mean that's you've you, what you've seemed to got out of it is exactly what i wanted a reader to feel that i wanted him to be i want billy to be such good company that does he does frustrate you at times, but he, he has a great sense of humour and uh, and a twinkle in his eye. <clears throat> I think it, there's always a twinkle in his eye, and he's and that's one of the problems that he's found. That's one of the things he's always got into trouble with. Yeah, well, he he had a tough upbringing. He, he had it tough, didn't he? He had a father, you know, his, his parents. Yes. You know, I don't. I don't. I'm trying not to give stuff away here, but he had. You know, his, his parents weren't easy to get on with. He was left to his own devices as a kid. I love the stories of him being stuck up a tree and looking at the, the, the girls next door. <laughs> I love some of the language that you use about the girls next door. That's fantastic. Perhaps I sh- this is where I shouldn't be admitting all the things that, that, that uh, <laughs> the parallels, but no, he's, yeah, those, the, and then of course the fallout from that with his, the friend that he's with before. I mean, like a lot of boys that age, you know, lying about their age to go and fight in World War One, and, um, um, yeah, but I wanted the sense of humour to come through, and and um, I'm I'm pleased that it does. I'm pleased you've you felt that. That's good. No, it's fantastic. It just reminded me because I, I've got a I've got an aunt who's 96 now, Auntie Zara, bless her. And um, just before we came, we were going into lockdown, into COVID. We were having to make a decision for her whether to put her in a care home, or whether to, or whether to get get a live in carer. And thank God we made the right decision. We got a living carer just, right, just absolutely. literally days, just days before, and she's had a new a new lease of life. But we do have these these very odd conversations with her when she does repeat herself, and we do get those moments of lacking lucidity, shall we say, that re- repetitiveness. And she she'd come up with things like like, and she talks about her husband who died fifteen twenty years ago. She she says things like my 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 Lou wouldn't let the wind blow on me, <laughs> and there's so a turn of phrase that's just, it yeah, is a turn yeah, of phrase that will will stay with me forever, and that there's there's plenty of those sort of slightly comedic but melancholy sort of moments in the book as well, which I think are wonderful. I had four grandparents up until I was about fifteen, and uh, three of them died in quite a close succession, but my my. Gran, um, my maternal, my mum's mum, lived until 99. She only died a few years, two or three, couple of years ago. And um, I was always, I was had such a close relationship with her and and stay with her regularly. She, she, she was from, she lived in the Isle of Man all her life. But when she was in her 60s and 70s, uh, she was an active part of the WI and uh, would come to London to a, a WI convention and she'd come and stay at my flat in, in Shepherd's Bush and, and I'd take her out for dinner to places. She wouldn't have a clue what the things were on the menu. She just said, just order something you think I'll like. And she had a wicked sense of humour as well. So I, I felt very lucky to be able to, you know, have those things to draw upon, you know, having had such a lovely close relationship for pretty all my adult life until, you know, early 50s. And then when, yeah, so, so yeah, it, you, 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 I felt lucky to have that. And so it was, it was nice to bring some of those touches into the book. It's lovely to have a relationship with your, you know, elderly relatives, grandparents and aunts and uncles, and please God, they live to, to well into their, or in his case, into 117 or... I'd have made him older, but the, it, when it was published, it, it meant that, because he's born first, Billy's born 1st of January 1900, so that the uh, that his life can mark the, the, cent- the century passing. And I think it was uh, bought in 
2017 and published in 18 uh, was it 19 i can't quite recall but basically i, I thought well, let's call him we'll call him 117 and then then i won't be having to push it much further so did you did you kill him off time wise as soon as you killing him off i haven't killed him off haven't you this is still with me eternal characters still with me yeah is there a part two i can't bear the thought that billy isn't around so he's uh, no well character wise he's, he's going to be around forever Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or even meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So how did you settle on... It's interesting because it's called The Six Loves of Billy Binns. Yes. And you're reading the book and you think, well, hang on a second, there's only five here. There's got to be there's got to be a twist coming on. And even one of those five, you're thinking, oh, is that... So I don't want, to, don't want to say too much about one of those characters either. But you, you, you leave it late to, to, to come in with that uh, twist at the end. I've, I've always liked twists and turns. And part of storytelling is... Uh, I'm, I, I was more used... To, uh, um, one of the first things I wrote was a television series uh, set in London about, again, around the time I was 30, uh, it was called Wonderful You, and it was about six or seven friends and the relationship with each other, and then as they kind of working out how to do the next part of life. And I got used to... Well, I rather enjoyed writing for television where you, you have to, every time there was an ad, it was for ITV. And so every time there's an ad break, you need to put in a twist. At the end of every episode, you put in a twist. And, and same thing with the novel. I need something in every chapter that, that just turns it. And, and, and I knew that I wanted, I knew I was pushing for something that was, uh, would happen late on. So yes, there is. And, and it, and it is very close. It is very close to the end. I, what I wanted was for a reader to think, what is going to happen and uh, and hopefully there's a resolve to that but um but yeah i i i that's one of my favorite parts of storytelling finding moments that just that take you by surprise that you, you don't see coming and um and if if you can keep it that way through the book then that's um then that's again something which i'd be proud of now this six six loves and obviously love is different for for different people and there's each character that he he loves or he thinks he's loved or had a, a loving relationship with are each very unique and very different. Is that reflective of your own personal experience? Or is this just from reading educated guesses or friend, friends you've, you've spoken to? I would hope that every time, if you are lucky enough to experience love with somebody, that that love is very different from the previous time you might have experienced it. Otherwise, you're chasing something which is a non-organic uh, thing it's something which has to be about the person that you're with so it was very much an idea that i want i thought that the way billy deals with each relationship is very much of his age that the it's obviously a very different situation when he's a, a young man and they're the first person that he's fallen in love with and it's a slightly obsessive uh not necessarily um as there's a his imagination comes to play in in the relationship shall we say and that's very different from his relationship with uh evie who uh he he describes as his forever girl uh which is different from his relationship with um certainly different from the one with miss jackson <laughs> absolutely but i think, yeah. I, I figure that um again from a story point of view you you want I wanted Billy to have a different experience every time. And it was a measure of what stage of his life he was at 
with each person. So the, he gets things wrong in every relationship, but they seem to me to reflect who he is at that moment in time. So it was uh, absolutely, I, I, I tried to push them all. I try, and just also dramatically, you, you don't want s- similarities. You want, you want things to grow. No, they're all, un- all uniquely different. One of the things you mentioned with the care home, um, the fact that uh, Billy uh, in his later stages in the home has difficulty remembering details helps with the storytelling because it, you, as a reader, never quite sure if he's making certain bits up or if he's telling you how it was. And, I, and that, obviously, I could get to play with that quite a lot as well. That was great, that that vagueness of his memory. As you say, you don't know if his recollection is playing tricks with yes. him. Yeah. Or if he's genuinely, you know, mis- misremembering things, yeah. or is, or it's the author playing tricks with you. You no. don't quite know. It's a bit, a bit of, bit of both. The author has a hand in playing tricks, of course, but yeah. But Billy took the lead. Yeah, but he, he's he's a wonderful character. And the other thing about the book, not just about the personalities and the relationships, is the concept that I got of time. You've got this compression of time because. You're you're spinning. You, you spend some time in certain moments, like the First World War, and you know certain moments when he's. So you, you focus in, you home in on specific moments, and then you whiz through certain elements of it as well. And I wonder if that was a, a deliberate sort of trick of yours to make make you see. Well, he's 117 years old, but his time is his, his life is flashing before him. Again, the, the, he's focusing in on the relationship. So he he's almost, I mean, and there were moments in the book, I quite enjoyed researching them because my knowledge of history is pretty poor. I, 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 I don't have a great head for storing factual information of what happened when. So I was constantly having to look things up. But if, if one relationship finished at a certain point uh, and I, I needed Billy to whiz through time. It was a case he he he's almost telling himself, "Well, this happened when Wembley Stadium opened, and then this happened, this happened," as a way to to let his own brain move forwards. But there were useful little details because what I didn't want it to do was to ever be a history book about the accurate, you know, reflecting a time of history. So there were moments I could spend a long a long time over a very short period of time where all the tiny details of what's happening are going on there, and then cover fifteen years in a paragraph because. Because it wasn't relevant to Billy because he didn't love somebody in that particular period. Yeah, but that was fine. And I, I felt sometimes when, when, you, when you were rushing through, I didn't feel that was like a, a problem because clear, clearly you can't do 117 years, <laughs> do it justice historically in 400 odd pages. But it, it felt like one of those moments, you know, the, the H.G. Wells, um, the time machine, the film when he's sitting in the time machine and you can see the time actually spinning through until he's an old man, he's all skin falls off him and, you know, he crumbles. And was it the Morlocks or Warlocks or something? I can't remember. But um, it, it felt like I was in a time machine at times. At times, That element to me was, was brilliant because you've got him as a young man, you focus him on a young man. You've got him during the war, you focus him as a, during the war. And then there's moments, generic moments, and you, you, you reference them through cultural things like, I don't know, what was it, the Beatles or music or Elvis or something you, you talk about? Yeah, there was, I've, the, the, the Beatles gets one mention. I, I have to say, I was never a, I'm I'm not quite old enough to be a Beatles fan, but I'm I'm not a Beatles fan. <laughs> it's, I, it was always Bowie, it was Bowie for me was was the was then, uh, but um but there was a, I found that the, the Beatles were playing at Lime Grove at the studios at Lime Grove on a I can't remember the date offhand now, but it was a April. Sixty-three, possibly, just off the top of my head, and there's like one tiny moment where where Billy's walking up to go to a, his get to get his jacket repaired from a, a the tailor's on Oxbridge Road, and he sees his girl screaming outside the thing, and these four 
long-haired lads sort of going in you know it doesn't mention it's the Beatles but you as a reader it's just a tiny moment because I know that they played at, at that venue on that day on that year so little things like that you you I could allow Billy to just you know for real the real world to keep crossing over with him and it was very satisfying just to, to without shoehorning to get those moments in yeah I'm also interested in in the the process of um, your book writing as well. I mean, the story itself is 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 wonderful, and I think everyone listening can tell that I, that I love the book. Um, and I have, thank I, you. I, no, it's it's it, some books. Some books you're reading it, ah, and some books you put down, and you just you, you just wish it was it carried on because it's taking you on an emotional roller coaster. And I I, I think I'm quite I get quite sentimental and quite emotional as, as as a bloke, and I get quite quite mushy. And you know, I said my my grandparents lived into their nineties. I got an aunt in in a ninety. My parents are now my father's in his eighties, and my mum's come be eighty this year, please God. So I do have that that rapport, that emotional connection with with elderly people. And I think they've got a huge amount to teach us as well. So I I, I love that. I I got furious with him at times. I was deeply embarrassed by some of the things he did sometimes and felt awkward by some of the things he did, but he, he's, he's a fantastic character. And I thoroughly recommend everybody reads it. We'll give it a shout out at the end where people can pick it up. I wanted it to be a book that, uh, that there tends to be in literature a division that some books appeal to women and some appeal to men and and, other, and I wanted it to be a book that very much appealed to both that women could read it and read about this flawed man and and be mad with him as well and that men could read it too and it would be it, it's not just matters of the heart it's there's all kinds of things going on that, that we recognize in there so it, the fact that it seems to be taken to heart by men and women is something which I'd be I, I've been very proud of so that's that's that, great. is that the feedback you've got from from men as well that yes I mean some some uh, uh, um, the the some of the um, one of the comments I had from a, a, a female readers group was the language is a bit earthy for them that 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 because it, it, Billy is fond of a rude word every you know he he, he speaks in the language of the, that he was brought up in I mean I don't th I I I very rarely swear friends and things comment on it so but I felt it was important that he did sometimes because it expressed what he was going to say but I think that's the only time I felt I've heard anyone put give it a sort of gender division it it, it just seems to be both men and women have enjoyed it and and that's something which I, I wanted well. My wife's reading it now, and she's loving it as well. So. Oh, good, good. This is what you say she hates it. She hates no, it. She no, no. throws it down. And she no, far from it. I wanted to touch on your writing process as well, because I'm fascinated by process as much as the uh, the content. You, you, you said you got up irrespective every day at 6 o'clock, and before you'd had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, you just started writing. And that interests me, because I think it was all, Stephen King wrote a book about how he writes his novel. It's great. It's called. I think it's called on, on, on writing. On writing. On, yeah. On writing. Yeah. And he he no reason to doubt him. I think he said similar to you. He got up irrespective, even on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. He would he would get up and he would just write and just start writing. I tell you what. I, I, I wish I had his sales though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may well do after uh, this. I hope one. so. No? Please, Steve. Yes, please. I, I loved that book uh, and uh, that Stephen King wrote about it. And a couple of things I remember from it uh, are that. Um, he doesn't really structure. He just, just, I mean, he, he's such a naturally good writer that he's able to write and the story comes out because he says that if he doesn't know where it's going, then a reader won't be able to. I haven't got that skill. I, I think one of the things I'm good at is, is structuring and knowing when to release information. So I have to have each beat structured out ahead of me so that when I was writing it, I, I knew what each 
little section where it was going and what was going to happen next. And yet it could veer off the path and it could do that as long as it always came back to the thing that I was following. So when I was getting up in the morning, I sort of knew what I was doing. I knew where I was heading. So there's a big difference between the two styles of doing it. But something else that he wrote, which I love, he'd always claimed that he'd wanted to have He'd always written in a, like, hunched up in a little corner of his room. And, and then after his, his, however many bestsellers he'd had, he'd bought an amazing property and converted this big barn into his writing room. It had a view of a valley and hills up the other side. And he'd had a desk made out of this incredible wood and a big window. And he couldn't write a word when he sat down at it. He had to get an old table, put it in the corner facing the wall in order to be able to write again. It's like the suffering of the artist, isn't it? <laughs> but you didn't suffer. I mean, did, did words come to you as you sat there? Yes, it did. I, because I knew I didn't have an option. Uh, I knew that I, I, I had to get on and do it. I'd been given encouragement for someone professionally, and that was that was good. Also, I'd, I'd written for television and radio, and things, so I, I, I knew that, that there's a, an old sign I, I used to have, an old little, like a poster, and it said, uh, "Inspiration is the act of pulling the chair up to the writing desk." You can wander around thinking about what you're going to do as much as you like, but actually, there comes a point where you have to sit and do it. And um, and so by sitting and doing, but always knowing where I was heading, and also each day I would sort finish half a sentence or I, I I knew what the rest of the paragraph would be it wasn't like I wasn't afraid of losing the next couple of sentences so it meant the next morning I could literally pick up where I'd left off and I was in the process without having to think about it almost as if thinking about it stopped me from doing it by not thinking I was able just to let that let it flow mm, that's interesting so how many rewrites did you have to do was it the first shitty um, draft? As they yeah, call it? absolutely. The, the, I mean, the fir- I think the first draft was something like 140,000 words. And um, I whittled that down. I took about 20,000 out. To, and I, 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 my, my book agent was amazing. Her notes were just were, were incredible. And so she went through it and basically said, if, if you want to leave it all in, you can. But if you want to, so th- these are areas I think you might want to tighten or add a little bit more description or something. And so I basically just did another draft. And I, I, she's so wise. I just thought I'd be a fool to ignore any of these notes. So I, I, I did another draft and pulled it down to a, to a, a more reasonable length. And then the editor at Headline uh, at Tinder Press um, had some really good notes. And so I did another draft after that. But uh, I had several work, several pushes through myself before I'd even submitted it. And and then it went through another three or four. And then the proofreading process where you go through it again. So I worked and worked and worked at chopping it down. But that's the that's the pleasurable bit. The hard bit's getting to the end of the first one if you get to the end of the first one you can you can go back and and some days I would spend like my whole two or three hours writing session would be on two paragraphs to just to make it say exactly what I wanted it to say and the next day I might you know be able to fly through four five six pages ten pages and just work it that way but it, it just it, it, once you get to the end of the first one going back and rewriting was a was a pleasure compared to the turmoil of having to get the first one spilled out. And is it true that less is more? I'm actually stripping out, you know, verbose, verbosity. And yeah, I absolutely. It actually gives, gives you clarity. I, every time. And certainly in my experience, I'm much more experienced with scripts. And I, it's very rare that a cut doesn't improve what you've, what you've got down there. And it allows you to overwrite at the start as well, just to, just to keep spilling. Because you know that don't need those four lines, don't need that half a page. And you're left with like, it's like a good source, you know, it simmers down and reduces and you're left with a thing that, that is in a, a much better shape than something which is very flabby. And Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. No, it's, it's, it certainly tasted good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean you're, you're a multi-talented 
guy you know you've been in i'm just looking down your um your list of credits here you've been you've been performing for 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 many first of the summer wine that was my first tv in, job yeah back 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 in the uh, back in the late 80s, 80s right right up to doctors a couple of weeks ago, I mean, a couple the, of weeks ago, it's uh, bang up to date then, isn't it? Your Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, the um, uh, I've I've done I think eight episodes of Doctors over the years. It's just one of those you know lovely things. You just go up to Birmingham, fil- film for a few days, film very quickly, and and you're done. And um, but like 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 I mentioned, I did a, a series, filmed a series uh, called The Singapore Grip in Malaysia last year, which will be on ITV later this year sometime. And uh, I'm I'm about to do a um, I say about to do. We were about to do it before lockdown started, but there's um, I did a feature film. I've done quite a few feature films, but I did one called Downhill, which is, uh, I think it's actually available for rent on, on iTunes for like 99p. And it's a delightful British independent film about four old school friends who walk Wainwright's coast to coast across the UK. And in doing so, you find out what, the, what they're doing and their, their relationships with each other. And the, the team that made that have got a fantastic idea for a, a TV series. And we're shooting a kind of, teaser pilot for it to see if um if we can um, make it work so uh, we're due to be doing that so i'm looking forward to that whenever it happens that sounds good that's going to take you back up north again to your roots more closer no that'll be that'll be london that's london oh, oh sorry downhill was, was set up da- downhill was set up north set, set uh, uh, through the north but no this is this would be it's setting up uh, yeah it's a it's a london setting yeah uh-huh You've done, you know, a fair amount of uh, humour as well and comedy, and I, I, was just, I was just flicking through some of the stuff you've done before with Catherine Tate, your Martin character. I don't think you get away with that today. Some some of that stuff. It was pushing it at the time, uh, I think, and uh, for a period of time, there's so over the years, certain shows cut through and they're, they're massive for several months, and then it it fades. But there was quite a period of time where lots of van drivers would call out, "Morning, Martin!" You know, like, <laughs> like oh, thinking, okay, they're big uh, Catherine Tate fans, and, uh, and it was great fun to do. I mean, and and yeah, she she does she loved pushing the envelope and uh certainly did i mean i i forgot just how close to them it wasn't close to the bone it was on the bone wasn't it well beyond the bone some of it yeah it was remarkable and you know obviously with what's going on today and around the world some of the uh stuff that's going on and then you you know taking faulty towers off and some of these other programs you look at that thing oh blimey I haven't seen the Catherine take things repeated i i i'm i've i'm absolutely totally agree with finding the right uh, tone for, for, for what's culturally right and wrong and and I think actually at the moment it, it just makes absolute sense if there's material which lo- looks to to have a negative effect and I think we kind of really need to look out for each other and actually we don't need to see see those shows at the moment we can we we just need to find the the new way forward and um yeah, no, I agree. So, I, I, I was doing my research and I stumbled across it on YouTube and I thought, I'll just have a quick sneak preview at this Martin uh, Martin sketch. Was that, I'm not sure if there's anything that was racially um, sensitive. No, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing racially, but there was, there was, there was enough there for some, um, some groups, I suppose, to uh, think. Oh, there's absolutely, she, there was, the, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can remember now some of the things. She, she was fundraising, wasn't she? Doing it's always, every some, week that was a theme for some, yeah, victims group. For victims and, groups, yeah. that's it. That's the word and, I'm looking for. So, uh, yeah. yeah, and and the the, the victims uh, fluctuate. There was a range of victims, weren't there? Indeed. Every, let, every let, week. Let's let's not go there. We'll leave that there. We'll, we'll we'll leave that there. So, um, where do you see yourself? I mean, you got another book in the pipeline? You got a follow up or something? Uh... I have finished a second novel, 
but my book agent isn't we've got uh, she has made some very valid points and doesn't think it's right as a second book uh she so she wants me to do an, another one and then i will rewrite the one i finished as a as a third if i if i'm lucky enough to get get it out there she doesn't think it's suitable as a, as a as a follow up. I mean, is it is it is it intended as a follow up or just as another sort of standalone? No, uh, no, it's a, it's a totally different story. The the, the word is not. I haven't quite fully understood. But in publishing, apparently, the second novel is very tricky one to get right because the first one you you spill out the world the way you see it, and you might have spent your whole life, and in my case, almost I have spent my whole life trying to trying to get it finished. And then the next one has to tell, has to be connected, but tell a very different story. And something that, that, that makes sense that it's the same author, but, but in a different shape. And I, I haven't quite got that right yet. I, I really like what I've done. She thinks it's very bleak. She says it's a very bleak zone. And maybe at the moment, bleak isn't what's uh, called for. But um, the, I, the, I know there's ways it was a, it's a first draft and I know ways I, I I will and want to improve it. But um, I've started a, a couple of times the, the the next book and I just haven't settled on the thing that feels right yet. So I decided, I, I, last year I put myself under a terrible pressure to try and do it and, and, and I found it quite hard. I, I really struggled because I was really, was, I, I want to get it finished. I want to get it finished so I can kind of get on and I, I, that wasn't doing me any favours. So I've left what I've got and I sort of know what I think it should be. And I've been writing scripts in the meantime. I've just finished a couple of uh, new scripts I wanted to write. Are these commission scripts? Or no, these they're, just not, one, they're on, just... on spec. Uh, I, I, I pretty much always write on spec. Write the thing first and then see if someone someone buys it. And so uh, so there's two new television ideas and I will uh, do some more work on them, get them out to my my script agent and the one of them's doing the rounds at the moment for people to read and we'll see what happens with that but like i said before it's always it's the seven plate spinning you can come up with ideas and most of them will never see the light of day you just don't know which the the one that that will and i I, i've always found a way for something to come in but it it just gets scary sometimes because when you don't know what's ahead you you just have to keep working on these things and hope with fingers crossed that, that that it'll work so Second book, yes, I've completed it, but it will it will be a little while before it emerges. It's got to mature like a good. Sauce. It's got to mature like a good <laughs> cheese and uh, and be changed a lot as well. I need to do a lot of rewrites. So how has how has COVID and lockdown helped or hindered your sort of creative juices? Has it been beneficial to you to sort of assuming you've been a good boy and socially distancing? I have been a good boy. In fact, one of my active total isolation for the first. Uh, two weeks where one of my sons they're, they're both uh, pretty much grown up but he had some symptoms and then thankfully it didn't become anything else but we all decided just to do our own thing so I literally stayed in um for the first two weeks I, I would go did my exercise every I would go for a run every every other day and I just did my own shopping early in the morning to the, you know, the local supermarket so I did that and then I've, I've stayed um I've stayed quite I, to be honest I've really loved the piece I've loved the fact that there haven't been I, it's been a, a great not really thinking about work um I, I, I've 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 sort of struggled some days to write and I didn't beat myself up for that um i've enjoyed the fact the streets have been really quiet and um I, i'm rather sorry that that's i mean that you just want people to be well obviously but um but i i am um, i'm rather disappointed by seeing increasing number of cars on the roads and the, the, the shops getting busier I, I i i'm not ready yet to 
to get out there again i don't think so it's 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 been quite a special time again if you've been lucky enough to not you know uh seeing how the, the nhs and the key workers have had to you know what they've done to to get through it and i think people like me have had a very easy ride you know we've been able to sit and think and take it easy so um i've had a very lucky a lucky lockdown i think yeah no i, t- I totally agree with you it's been wonderful to go for i mean Fortunately, you know, I think we had a bit of illness in the early stages. We came through that. We know one or two people, unfortunately, who have yeah. passed Absolutely. away from it you know, yeah. within our uh, family and close friends circles. But other than, you know, that aside, from a very personal point of view, my immediate family, thank God, have, have been okay. We've been for lovely walks. The weather has been stunning. We've been a bit unfortunate with having made major construction works going on next to I mentioned to you, which has been a bit of pain in the ass. But, um, you know, we've had clean air we've had bird song we've had wonderful seasons it's been it's been glorious and opportunities to read i've got my bicycle out again and uh, and i've been uh, and um i've been really enjoying just cycling around parts that i didn't not too far but just just going for a you know that's part of the exercise it's been it's been lovely so I'm, I'm back into cycling again now which has been you know there's a positive thing that's come out so and does that get you thinking as well? Get the creative juices going? That's- Not really. I, 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 walking does that. I, I find on the bike, I just have to be too aware of what, what's going on around me. So it tends to be almost like, not like meditation, but I, I'm it just focused on, it's just the cycling and the road and the cars. Now, walking has always been, um, as I mentioned earlier, from the chance of walking around the moors in Derbyshire, that was that, that was my recreation as a teenager. I didn't really go out. I didn't go to pubs. I, I went to youth theatre in, in Bakewell and, and you know, you do productions or school productions. That was magic. But um, my recreation was with a, meeting a friend and go for a walk over the moors. And that's something which I still... I loved I love doing I, I just you know in winter putting my put my walking boots on here and just walk through neighborhoods and and it's no we love walking and in fact there's a there's a wonderful book yeah I don't you may know about it I called I think it's called on walking or, or walking by Alexandra Horowitz I, I don't I don't I've never read yeah, it I don't know well it. yeah get, check it out it's really good she um she goes out on walking around her neighborhood I think she lives in New York or in that that area and she goes on I think on half a dozen different walks with different people with different skill sets and different backgrounds from her child looking from the child's eyes what they see from the point of view of someone who specializes in um, wildlife someone who specializes in horticulture you know all different things and every time she goes out and does a similar journey completely different perspective but the same same thing same places is it's, it's a beautifully written book well well worth well worth a look well We've been going, well, if we, if we add on the time that we didn't uh, get our crap together <laughs> because of technology, <laughs> uh, nearly nearly two hours, so I'm very mindful of um, your patience in this matter. No, I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to you. So before we wrap up, I, I always ask my guests to, and I hope you remembered, <laughs> to, uh, to mention a couple of places in London that are personal to them. You know, it doesn't have to be like... Um, you know, tourist attraction, but something that's personal and has some meaning to you that not everybody may know about. So have you had a chance to give that some thought? Yeah, I, I absolutely have. And the, the, the first little group I'm going to go for is a couple of restaurants because I, one of the greatest pleasures is going, sitting in a restaurant, having food, ch- chatting with a friend. I don't... You're doing that on purpose because we can't go to restaurants. At the I, I, I know, <laughs> but, but, but we will. We will again. And um, there's three that are my, my little homes from home. Uh, one's called Koha, which is in... It's it's on St. Martin's Court in t- Leicester Square. And it, I've been going there since I was a, in my 20s. And it's, um, it's like an 
Uh, it's run by an Albanian a man and, and his friends, and it's it's just the most magic place. It's the, the food's lovely. The it, it, they're so friendly. What is the food? Is it Albanian style? It's it's, 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 it's brasserie kind of. Probably, it, yeah. it's, it, I, I like the atmosphere, and 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 just sitting in there makes me feel like I'm in London, and it, and it, it like I, I'm right in the middle of town, and 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 it's a little like a little home from home. The two others are a place called De Franco, which you may well know, not too far from you in. I know DeFranco, and it's also uh, uh, the first time it got recommended was by um, our mutual friend Lal Hardy, Ma- yeah. M- Mr. Hardy. <laughs> um, it's 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 the, again being going in there with uh, with my mate Paul usually uh, for what feels like generations now and it and that's that's like a holiday going in for a night there feels like I, i've left london and i'm i'm somewhere else for the night and it's great and that's free and barnet isn't and it? it's free and barnet and the third is a place called mondello which is just on good street and it's a, again a little italian restaurant run by the same family been there for years and i think the theme between these three places is the atmosphere that there's nothing uh there's nothing fancy about it it's just it's real and it's delicious and I've, i feel very happy when i'm in those three places so they're they're my, they're my special choices in terms of somewhere to go should we just mention the ones that are gone the restaurants that we love that aren't there anymore there's one called Manzi's that used to be in leicester square fish restaurant i used uh-huh. to love that just a bit and gabby's the uh, falafel place in leicester you, you know when they when they go you can't believe you feel like it's someone's it's a crime against you that Absolutely. someone's closed this place down and then walks like like walking through town putting shoes on and, and walking uh, there's a little spot by the river in hammersmith called furnival gardens and it, it's a place that um billy is important in the book for billy i often find myself doing a walk down by the river and i'll always have a moment at, at furnival gardens you can see over the wall and uh, in low tide and there's a, a, a little corner where there's what used to be the side of hammersmith creek which was a waterway that went up uh, connected to stanford brook and back in the day there was barges and wharves and loading uh, things were taken off the barges off the thames and it doesn't exist anymore the 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 um the obviously it was built over it, it it's not there but the the only the bit that remains is the entrance to it which you can see over the wall at Furnival Gardens, and uh, I'm, I, I always love to have a wander down there and have a look and see if I can see it at low tide. That's a special. No, I, I, I did check that out because I, I, you mentioned that somewhere. I think it was in the um, at the back of your book when you were when you were talking about the research. And there is a lovely photograph I found online of when the tide is out. You can actually see the railings and the arch where where where, where it used to be, and it is when it, it, it's such a sort of sentimental, poignant story. I think. For everyone that lives in London, everyone's got their own little secret place. I was saying, saying to my boys that um, we were talking about how the town, the city becomes yours as you, the longer you live in it. And something happens, a, a connection with a friend or a, 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 an evening that you had or something happens. And forever, that little corner, that alleyway, that road is part of your history and and the town just grows we it's like we all have our own monopoly board of the places that are important to us and 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 it can be a hole in the wall with railings at low tide but everybody hopefully listening to the podcast and who who that your followers that have a connection with london will have a lifetime of those little spots and the things that are important to them and and i love the fact that we all have our own journey through the city marked out with these massive moments in our lives that are just reflected in the quietest places it's so true billy had his own little alley didn't he 
Should, should we leave the alley for now? <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll, we'll leave that. Let people find yeah. out yeah. Why, why the alley was special for Billy. <laughs> Billy's special alley, yeah. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, how can people find out more about you or get in touch with you, either directly or indirectly? Um, what's the best way to get, you know, or follow you on social media for that matter? I mean, I, I have to say I, I am on social media. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, um, at Lumsden Rich. But I, I, I don't join in an awful lot i uh i one of the things i found is that if i do social media which i don't particularly enjoy it stops me from writing uh that that's time that i should be spent doing something else but i am on there and i i, I will respond and follow um i think there's still a connection of things with my website richard Lums. you do have a website yeah uh, but i need to update it badly need to update it <laughs> um but yeah so um that people yeah. can find well one, once again it's been a treat to uh have you on the podcast i thank you so much for asking me steve i really appreciate it. it's a pleasure wonderful to read the book i i thoroughly enjoyed it and if someone says to me i've got to read a book of what is it 450 odd pages and i've got a couple of weeks to to get through it i might panic a bit but i, I just flew through it i enjoyed it so much I'm going to recommend everybody go and grab a copy of uh, the book. It's called The Six Loves of Billy Bins uh, by Richard Lumsden. What do you call it? The subheader? The subtitle? What do you call it? The, the str- How would it feel to fall in love one last time? Oh, I just feel uh, like going... It's a strap line, isn't just, it? Yeah. The strap line. <laughs> okay, you're weepy just uh, reading about it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank no, you so not much. not at all. It's, it's been great. Thank you ever so much. And uh, hopefully, maybe we'll meet up at one of those restaurants. I look day. forward to it. To see you in DeFranco's with Lal. In DeFranco's with Mr. Hardy. <laughs> we'll all get inked up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. And, and to all your followers, uh, I hope you have a, a good luck and good health. Thank you. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you. And the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows and sponsorship opportunities only available via via Patreon. I do hope you will continue to support what we're doing here and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy.